What we're looking at tonight is what Jesus is determined to do. I'm going to pray that we can understand this word tonight, and I'm going to pray also that I can speak truthfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word tonight, um, I pray that you'd help us understand it, and I pray for myself. I pray that I can speak truthfully from your word. Amen. Jesus is determined to die. So far, we've seen that Jesus has healed people, fed people, forgiven people, raised people to life, and all of that has shown that he's a compassionate, he's a loving, he's powerful, he's authoritative, and more importantly, that he's God. And we come to verse 43, and this is how the people respond. So have a look at verse 43 if you have your Bible open. And they were all amazed at the greatness of of God. People are seeing Jesus and saying, whoa, how great is God? It's crazy. Jesus then says something interesting in verse 44. Let's have a look at that. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus is talking about himself here. The Son of Man is a title that he uses for himself. But why does Jesus say this now? Everything seems to be going sweet. Everyone seems to be having a good time, wouldn't you? If someone could heal the sick, provide for your every need and raise people to life, that'd be pretty cool. Well, Jesus is determined to complete the mission he's actually here for. Like Simba, like Liam, he's set for the task at hand. Though it's not as trivial as those other characters. Come down to verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. There it is. Luke the author gives us a hint as to what's about to take place. Jesus is going to heaven, or rather, to be with God. And he's determined to get to Jerusalem. It's like Rafiki coming to Simba and saying, it is time. So Jesus sets out for Jerusalem. Jesus could just get to Jerusalem and be like, well, I got here. Mission complete. But that's not the full extent of his mission. His mission isn't just to get to Jerusalem. It's what he's there to do. To make it clearer, we didn't read this, but flip back to verse 22. So the same title that he uses for himself. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. If you knew for certain that you only had four weeks to live, what would you do? What was that? Nothing. You'd do nothing. (laughs) Now, what would you do? Would you go overseas? Would you go have a party? Would you throw parties? Would you just go to them? Would you spend all your money? You would want to live these next four weeks getting the most out of it, wouldn't you? Similarly, Jesus knows he's going to die, but he goes towards it. We would run from it and fill our life and minds on other things so that we don't have to think about it. Not Jesus, though. Jesus goes towards it because he knows what it will achieve. 
Why Jesus, though? What does this prove about Jesus? That he is the saviour and the king. Jesus is going on a rescue mission to save the people of the world. And that is to be saved from eternal judgment and brought back into relationship with God. Why do I deserve judgment? I'm pretty good. I haven't gone out of my way to hurt God and Jesus. I haven't done anything that bad. You may have heard this word before. It's sin. Sin is not living God's way. And because we don't live his way, we will be judged. But, but, God in his love sent Jesus to die for us so that you, so that I can be saved. There's nothing we can do to please God. Left to ourselves, we will always live life for ourselves. Jesus knows what going to Jerusalem will achieve. He knows what his death will achieve. His death will rescue us from God's anger at our sins if we put our trust in him. It's not only believing in his death because he didn't just stay dead. He rose again so that we can trust that we will live forever with him and obey him as we live out our lives now determined to please him. The next thing I want to show you guys from the passage is we need to respond to Jesus rightly. Some of you are like the people in verse 43 that we just read. And some of you are like the people in verses 52 to 53. Let's have a read of those. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Some of you will respond to Jesus, who Jesus is, sorry. Some of you will respond to who Jesus is and what he has done for you tonight. And it's either responding to him as king and saviour, or it's not. It's, I don't want anything to do with him. When confronted with Jesus, we either welcome him or we don't. Let me say it like this. We either trust in him or we don't. I want to challenge you guys tonight that you need to make a decision on this. You can't be sitting on the fence. You either need to put your trust in him or not. Some of these things I'm about to say are things you guys are probably struggling with. And they are, is Jesus real? Did he actually exist? Did he rise again? How come I have to please a God whom I don't believe in? There's probably heaps more. And honestly, it's good to have those questions. What's better is to have those questions answered. Come chat to Jono, come chat to myself, chat to your leaders, chat to a friend who brought you along tonight. Um, next week, we have an evidence seminar that I would encourage you guys to get along to. The only thing I'll say now is that whether you put your trust in Jesus or not, matters. You guys need to figure that out. And the best way to figure it out is to talk to people and ask questions. The final thing I want to show you guys tonight is following Jesus is about 100% commitment. 
Some of you will be thinking, I'm actually ready to give my life to Jesus. You're determined to become a Christian. We're going to look at verses 57 to 62. And just a warning, you may read it and go, this is hectic. But let me tell you, it's the best thing you can do. And I'll fill it out as we go. So Jesus encounters three different guys. The first in verse 57. Have a look there. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. The second man is in verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The last guy is in verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, besides the first guy, the two others have an excuse before they want to follow Jesus. Now, they're not that actually bad of an excuse. Like, if you look back at verse 59, that dude wants to bury his dad. The guy in verse 61, he wants to go back and love his family and say goodbye. But Jesus' response to all three of those men is very interesting and can seem harsh. The first guy, he says this, verse 58. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The gist he is getting at is that he doesn't have a home. Jesus doesn't have a home. And that if you wanted to follow him, you need to expect that you won't get much food or even a roof over your head because there will be people who don't accept me. That's what Jesus is saying. The second guy in verse 60. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What Jesus is getting at here is that someone will bury this guy's dad. If you want to follow me, you need to dedicate yourself to, uh, you need to, dedicate yourself to me first and preach the gospel family comes second. The third guy, verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying here, when you start the task of following me, you don't turn back. Basically, all three are saying that Jesus requires absolute commitment. That you are determined to follow him 100%. So, what could be the things that stop you following him 100%? Well, the Bible is clear about some things, but it isn't so clear about other things that could stop us. So, sport. The Bible doesn't say, stop sport, full stop. But it does have helpful things that it does say that could hinder our race. So Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. If sport does hinder you, as a Christian and stop you from being a Christian, it may be helpful to stop doing that sport. 
or you just need to figure out how you can be a Christian in the sport. But if it is helpful to continue being in the sport as a Christian and a good representative of Christ, keep doing it. Though, Jesus does command us in the Bible to take sin seriously. So I'll say it like this. If you're caught up in sin that distracts you from God, keep fighting it. Pursue to stop doing it. What I'm saying is that Jesus wants your whole life to please and glorify him. You need to figure out whether the things of this world are distracting you from that. And you know what it usually is. It's usually the things that we spend our time most on. So if you're looking into being a Christian, do you know what it will cost you? Well, Jesus says, it costs your life. A bit further on in Luke, Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says, Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Again, come and chat to someone and figure out how to become a Christian and what in particular it may cost you. Jesus is so determined that you follow him, that is to trust and obey him, that he resolutely set out to die for you and for me. This next question is also for me. Will you be determined to follow Jesus like that? A hundred percent. Absolute commitment. I hope so. Pray so. It's hard. But it's good. I'm going to finish with two stories. (laughs) So this summer, in January, I was on a summer mission up north and the team I was leading... She was on the same team. We had to cook dinner for the other teams. I was on the barbie, and it was uh, one of those really hot days in January. The place we were at, the owners had, um, hadn't been around for a few months, and they hadn't cleaned the fat from the bottom of the barbecue. So I'm cooking away, and all of a sudden, the barbecue bursts into flames. I run into the living room where everyone is just like chilling out and I'm like, so the barbie's on fire. And they're kind of like, oh, cool. I run back out and I'm trying to stop it so I turn off the gas and all this kind of stuff. The flames are still going. No one has come outside. And I run back in and I'm like, no, seriously, the barbecue's on fire. Like, help. (laughs) I run back out, close the hood and it eventually stops. My team didn't realise the potential danger they were in until I finally figured out what to do. There's actually more to this story, which you can come ask me about later. But the point is, if you don't act soon, then judgement is closing in quick, like a fire. But if you do act, if you do take on 100% following Jesus... Let me tell you one last story. So Brother Yun is a um, man who wanted to preach the gospel in China. In his 23 years of ministering in China, Brother Yun was arrested 
and sent to prison three different times. He spent a total of seven years in prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, he was caught by the security police and thrown into a freezing cold prison cell with four of his co-workers. There was no heat in the cell. And outside, the temperature was below freezing. They'd thrown Brother Yun's coat in the snow. He began to beat on an old drum with his handcuffs and sing in a loud voice from Psalm 150. He says, The more I sang, the more I was filled with joy. I stood up and praised the Lord. Gradually, my frozen hands and feet regained feeling and I wasn't cold anymore. During the times when Brother Yuan was in the hands of the government officials, he was repeatedly beaten, tortured with electric buttons. He was kicked and trampled upon. He was tortured with needles being jabbed underneath his fingernails. He was mocked by other prisoners. He was hung by his handcuffs and transported so roughly that the cold cuffs slipped sliced through his wrists until they were all bloodied and the wrist bones exposed. Even though it was painful, the word of the Lord kept coming to Brother Yun, encouraging him and strengthening him in his faith until he could face pretty much anything without fear. At the moment, Brother Yun has been exiled from China. He's in Germany. I'm not saying that each one of you will experience that or something similar. But Brother Yun knew what it would cost him and eventually what it did cost him. But he knew for certain that when he passes away from this world that he would be with God forever. We can have that hope. That certain hope. No matter where we are at, we all need to talk to God and ask for forgiveness. Follow Jesus by trusting and obeying him as saviour and as king. We need to be thankful that he saved us. He saved you and me from our sin. It's hard to live as a Christian. It's not easy. But it's worth it. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he was determined to go to Jerusalem to die for us. We pray that we would follow Jesus by trusting and obeying him 100%, that nothing distracts us from this.